Hey everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen and I am your host. Man, you're going to love the conversation I had today with Father Tim Donovan. Father Tim has created these amazing resources and a process that is really transforming catechesis for children and families. It's called Pathways. It's fantastic. Jody Phillips and I dive into the conversation with uh, Father Tim today. Uh, We talk about the foundation of faith for sacraments, that we have to be able to see the faith manifesting before we give the sacraments. Uh, We talk about missionary families in his parish that are coming alongside other families and helping them. And uh, we actually, if you stick around, at the end, we have a giveaway. The, The stuff that Father Tim and his team has created are so cool. And we have some for you that we're going to give away. So take a listen to the episode. You're going to love today's conversation. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen, and I am your host, And for those of you who like to mock me, because I start every episode by saying, this is an old friend. I'm actually not talking to an old friend today. I'm talking to a new friend. Actually, too, it's such a joy to be able to introduce you. Uh, Some of you know Jody Phillips. Uh, Jody and I work together in the Office of Evangelization and Family Life uh, here at the Archdiocese. And today, joining us, Father Timothy Donovan. Father, how are you? Doing well. Only my mother calls me Timothy, but it's okay, you know? <laughs> You're not in trouble. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh my God. Well, just so, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Happy to be here with you. Um, just so excited to always just talk about the stuff that God pours into our hearts. And I'm excited. I'm hopeful and I'm yeah, grateful. Thanks for having me. Jody, how are you? I'm doing well. I was really appreciating that I'm also now a new friend. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, a new old friend. Like, <laughs> a new <okay>. old friend. <laughs> So Jody, why don't you start us off because you ran into father's work and what will let him kind of unfold and unpack that for us. But we were, I mean, practically giddy when we discovered the work that father and his team had been doing, helping parents and religious educators come alongside these parents in forming children for just faith in general and some of these key sacramental moments. Why don't you start us off, Jody? Yeah, our discovery story. Well, some of you may may not know this, but if you work for for a diocese, you often get samples of different curriculums from around the world. So if there's there's a curriculum out there, we've probably gotten a sample. And um, sometimes they get sent to me, sometimes they get sent to Jim. And one morning, uh, Jim knocks on my door with this box for, I, I think it was for reconciliation. And he said, hey, this is for you to look at just FYI. And then he stopped and he goes, wait, 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 wait. I have a son preparing for first reconciliation. I think I need to take this home. (laughs) Um, And at that point I was barely allowed to look at it only enough to look up the website because what we immediately noticed was how well put together this curriculum was. It was, it was a box, a beautiful box. And we're going to keep talking about boxes, but that was for the entire family, right. To prepare the child and the whole family for the sacrament. So I immediately that day stopped what I was doing, which is a rare occurrence in, in my ministry to just go look at the website. I think that day I set up a zoom call with you, father, um, because I was so excited about just like, 
what I saw and how well it aligned with the ministry we were doing in the archdiocese, it's, it's pretty rare that something would stop both Jim and I in our tracks. Um, so that was kind of our, our introduction to your resource. Um, very quickly delighted in its looks and yeah, the alignment that we saw with, with our, our work here. So really excited. Why don't you get us started? Like, tell us a little bit about just your story, what you do, and and how this kind of began for you. Absolutely. Um, so I am actually our entire team. We're all high school youth ministers at some point in our journey. And so before I entered the seminary, I was a high school youth minister. And I really call that like the, the era of youth ministry where there was a lot of good ministry being done and kind of big high school programs happening. And um, But all of us, I think at the end of that, looked back and we saw that the enduring fruit was was minimal like no mm. matter how good the programs were the kind of lasting fruit was not really had less to do with what we did with the teens than it was about them having families that practiced that and modeled it for them in their homes and we would have like a 70 wow. percent retention rate after confirmation to come these kids to come back and do leadership with us through the rest of their high school experience but then we saw like within a month or a year or two into college that probably only like less than five percent probably remained faithful wow. and that common denominator was their family and so i went off to seminary our creative director pam uh went off and started to do family ministry started to go around our diocese speaking to parents so she does that all the time still she's in the trenches doing things with them seeing what works seeing what doesn't and so much of what we've created has come out of just years of her and i doing things with families because that's become our heart so we all decided that we want to really invest sooner we want to start to really go back to the mm -hmm. roots of that tree rather than trying to you know convert like fruit post you know being like oh we have bad fruit but let's try to fix it we're really yeah. going back to the root to heal and to um transform that that experience there to it produces that lifelong fruit of faith in a family and so um i was ordained in 2017 so not too long old of a priest here and uh within that first year in my parish it just the lord was like we got to do something else we can't keep going mm -hmm. down the same road it's not producing fruit and so we started to talk and uh, we started to develop our first resource which is nourish our first communion resource then we exhibited that resource at the LA congress um in 20 mm. is it 2019 it's a vortex of time this pandemic yeah, yeah, anyways yeah, right yeah, before seriously. the lockdowns february and then we went into this full-blown you know worldwide lockdown and the lord during that time just like was dumping like just things into my heart and into my head and we wrote and we went from one resource to over 10 in a year um for wow. families and so really if it wasn't for this pandemic this like was a 10-year model or a 10-year kind of vision that got really just put into a very distinctive time so we're actually wow. a, a nonprofit. or our name is faith and family life catholic ministries so it's a mouthful but we feel like it really helps to kind of show what we're trying yeah. to do we're trying to yeah create resources that help parents have intentional faith conversations with their kids because that's the stuff that sticks. And so that's kind of where we came from, what we realized, and then what we decided that we want to spend the rest of our lives doing. Wow. Father, I just have to comment. I was so struck by your humility, the way you talk about you know, this labor of love as a, in a, as a high school youth minister, and yet seeing that there wasn't lasting fruit. And that when there was, it wasn't from your labors. I'm amazed that you spoke, of, that's just beautiful in, in a tragic sort of way, which is how easily you spoke of that. 
Because I think there's probably a lot of people who see that, but maybe aren't as honest uh, as you were just be able to say, okay, Lord, how, how do we do something different here? No, no, it was. I, I, I think that took a long time to get to that point. And it was definitely a full of sadness in the beginning, kind of mm-hmm. being like, did I waste my my life here? Like, what was that about? And I think when we work for the gospel, it's never a waste. Um, but we do yes. have to Amen. be we do have to be honest, I think, with the signs of the times too. And um, I think in so many ways, the signs of the times at that point was pointing us to that. And the church yeah. was kind of looking toward youth at that time. And we were doing that. And then I think the signs of the times have changed. And uh, mm-hmm. now it's requiring a, a, a new era for a new approach. And I think that that it's also, I think, a mark of the spirit to be able to go where the wind blows too, you know, then this mm-hmm. wind blows where it wants, which is frustrating for some who like it really structured, which I do. I was an engineering student before I became a youth minister. So I have this <laughs> like systems, you know, I like to have it all orderly, you know, and yeah. so then the Holy Spirit kind of comes in and wrecks my life and moves me and but I'm so grateful for both of those things because they come together yes. into a very interesting place for our ministry. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. Father, you do you do more than just this ministry, right? I mean, you are a priest in, in a parish. Can you tell us a little bit about your day job? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, this is my side hustle. No, just kidding, <laughs> um, as people call it. Um, yeah, so I am my assignment in our diocese. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Orange in California. I speak to many Floridians and they think that I'm from someplace in Florida because they have a county of orange <laughs> there as well, if you knew that. And so I've learned that recently. Yeah. But I, None of the, the Nebraskans are like, orange. I wonder if he's from Nebraska. <laughs> there's no there's no orange in Nebraska. Nope. Sorry. Yeah, there's no orange trees anywhere. Not dark. Um, and so I am currently, my assignment for the diocese is that I am a high school chaplain. So I work at Santa Margarita Catholic High School in Rancho Santa Margarita. And I'm also our diocesan delegated priest for healing and deliverance. So I do all of the basically minor exorcisms of our diocese and work with people that are afflicted and all that good stuff. So yeah, so I wear many different hats. This is my favorite hat to wear, I have to say. Yeah. I still do the high school work, but I also seeing that increasingly my decision to go younger is increasingly confirmed. I'll say that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. That's that was a a lot of hats. I don't think I even realized that you're wearing. So that's in very diverse ends of ministry. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, it was like I mean, they fit together in God, but not a lot of crossover, is there? <laughs> It's actually interesting. the The one crossover is the family. Yeah, sure. That's what yeah. I was thinking. All of all of the you know all of the experiences that I have with you know troubled kids in our high school can either be traced back to their family of origin mm. or their friends' family of origin. Um, usually, almost all of our deliverance cases are associated with some sort of woundedness that came from an earlier time that yeah. then kind of open them up to seeking out healings in different ways, desperation, all these different things. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so it all is kind of together there. And I yeah. just do a lot of it out of obedience, you know, trusting yeah. that the Holy Spirit is working through the church and working through my bishop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You're you're both seeing kind of the wounds of, of a lack of formation in the family at the same time as, as you mentioned, you're, you're getting to work at the roots to heal from the roots up. Absolutely. Well, Father, can you, can you give us a little bit of the layout of religious education? Um, you, you've alluded to this a little bit within what you were seeing in youth ministry, but as you've dug into this work um, in particular with as you started with sacramental formation, some of the layout of religious education and what you were seeing that really inspired you to, to create this work in particular. Definitely. You know, um, 
I hear lots of different terms for religious education across the United States. Yeah. And one that really took me back the other day was PSR, Parish School of Religion. I don't, oh. like, I don't think you've ever heard that one for a no, long time, right? No. And I was like, whoa, that's the whole CCD bit, right? That takes yeah. us back years, <laughs> probably down to Pius X, you know? Um, yeah. And so I think that, you know, what's hard is that in our country, we've never, we've only had one model of faith formation, and that's been a school model. Um, mm -hmm. From the very beginning of the immigrant church here in the United States, um, was down in the middle of that industrial revolution and families were, you know, working, kids went to the Catholic schools run by the nuns and, and when people weren't able to go to Catholic schools for whatever reason, then they started this parish school of religion, these CCD programs after mm -hmm. school. So it was a school after school. And really when you had a culture that um, supported that, when it was like still that kind of, I call it was in the water, like you have Christianity mm -hmm. is in the water and kind of the river, you can kind of go down the river and more or less, maybe not very intentional, but at least you kind of have the values of the Christian life in there in some way. Um, and then at some point those waters change direction and um, it's no longer in the water. And when mm -hmm. that, that rug got pulled out from underneath that system, um, we really started to see it fall apart in the sense of intentionality and then people not you know, coming to church or being intentional in their homes because they didn't really have to be intentional. So they didn't even know what that intentionality looked like. And so what we're seeing now is a real need for providing tools that reteach people how to be intentional and how yeah. to own it and how to make it their own rather than just to say, I'm going to go along with the flow and we're going to pop out the other side. You know, it just doesn't happen anymore. There's that great book from Chris and Doug, Apostolic Mission. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that. Yes, um, Patrick love it. Shea. And that's the reality there. We're, we're now in uh, apostolic times. We now no longer can assume that, you know, people are coming to us with faith and all sorts of different things. So I think within the last, I think, especially 20 years, um, that that's accelerated majorly. I think it's been mm -hmm. going for a bit now, but I think the acceleration of that is a major. And now we're seeing the fruit of it. Now we're seeing a second or third generation out from intentional um, kind of at least practice of faith in homes. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think we're actually in the last generation in my mind of people who are going to go or bring their kids to church because they have to. Mm -hmm. Like when you sit down with families, they say like, why are you here? Because I can't live at grandma's house unless I baptize this baby. <laughs> um, totally. You know, and I think totally, that yeah. this their kids are not going to do that because they're not going to, unless we grab them, yes. they're not going to tell that to their kids. And I think we're in that very end piece. And so what we try to do with our resources is to meet people where they're at and to accompany them hmm. to not just say, you know, we have this one size fits all formation program. You come 26 weeks, two years in a row. And all of a sudden you pop out at the other end. Now a very faithful practicing person, but to meet them, to sit down with them, face to face tell us about your life what's going well what's not like what's your experience of faith so far and then mm -hmm. just to put them on a path um, to put them on a path of deeper engagement we call it like an on-ramp onto the freeway of faith rather than a drive-through experience of faith formation where they order the thing do the two years get the thing drive back out Rather, we want to put them into a, a process and not just a oh. program, a process of formation that yeah. moves them, you know, from disengagement to an engagement, but with other people around them in an accompaniment model. And so it's very based on the catechumenate um, model, but also just this heavy spirit of accompaniment with other families. John Paul II says, you know, families form families, parents form parents, kids forms kids. And if we have those families in our parish that are 
those ones we want, those disciple maker families to draw them close to the other families and draw them in. It's all about relationships at the end of the day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Father, this is, this is so, so good. I love the way you're, you're describing this because my, you know, my words, not yours. This is kind of assembly line mode. You found another way to do it, how to actually meet individual children and families where they're at. What else makes pathways different from other sacramental resources? Yeah, we really, really focused on being experiential. Um, mm -hmm. We know that kids learn from experiences, um, but we also know that parents learn from experiences. Kind of, that's life, right? That's that's mm -hmm. the best way for something to go from our head to our heart is through an experience. Mm -hmm. And so when we can provide a meaningful, tangible, hands-on experience to do that, it can become such a uh, signpost for them for the rest of their lives. And so mm -hmm. really, I think though, our sacramental preparation resources are sacramental in nature. They affect yeah. what they signify. That's awesome. Wait, say that again, like build that out. Yeah, so a, a sacrament works like this. The St. Thomas Aquinas says it affects what it signifies. So, you know, there's a sign that does something ordinarily in the world, but has some sort of spiritual effect on it. And so like in our men box, we have that little football in there and we talk about, you know, the word for sin in Hebrew is, uh, I forget what it is, it's in there somewhere, but it means to miss the mark. Mm -hmm. And they hold yeah. up a little uh, kind of, we call those goalposts and they try to throw this little football through the goalpost. And if they can get it in there, that's hitting the mark. And if we nice. you know, throw it off to the side, it's missing the mark. And what that's allowed is that even dads have told us like, you know what, that's given me a tool now to go back to that. At, you know, in the backyard when I'm throwing around the baseball, now I can say, hey, like, you know, we're missing the mark with your brother. You know, we need to start, mm -hmm. you know, kind of going in this direction some more. So making the actual kind of teaching of the sacrament sacramental in the sense that they're experiencing these signs that point them to deeper realities. Because actually we live in a world now as... Um, Charles Taylor would say, or also Patrick Shea says in his book as well, that we live in a desacramentalized world right it's no longer um what they would call enchanted right there's no longer this sense that the, mm -hmm. the things we're experiencing touching feeling tasting have any sense of another world that they're connected to and so the sacraments maintain that for us and if we can draw out that meaning from those moments that can have those lasting you know impressions on young people and something they can return to it's a it's a connection it's an association that will have lifelong meaning for them so it, it occurs to me as we're as we're doing this, like the three of us know what you're talking about because you know we have these boxes, you know, sit, sitting. We have a whole. I shouldn't tell people, right? We'll have to lock them down. But we have, we we have a whole like little stash of these boxes, and they're wonderful. They're beautiful. You open them up, and there's all these beautiful interactive activities. Parent, child, break out just some of it. Give us just a little teaser. You talked about the football. Uh, you know, as as a way for boys to 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 get this concept of sin, just give a couple little anecdotes of what you're talking about here with these very tactile, experiential, catechetical tools. Certainly. So um, the most the full boxes that we have are are you know mend and nourish boxes. We also have different ones for like the creed, um, and we're also creating one right now for like a restored order model of confirmation. That's going to be really exciting, and uh, currently writing that. But in the, our nourish box, which speaks about first communion it actually follows the structure of the mass because i think that sometimes eucharist is reduced to like just receiving the body and blood of jesus which is essential to that reality but the eucharist is in fact the entire 
you know, liturgy, mm -hmm. the entire experience. Mm -hmm. And so drawing them into that, because if not, then it becomes just this like one and done type of thing that we see in a lot of places. And so yeah. what we want to do in that resource is that we want to show that what you do at home as a family is also what we're doing at church as a family of families. So we kind of modeled it like that. Like the first one is families gather. We talk about getting together in your home, setting up a specific space for that. So they set up a sacred space in their home and then we connect it to the church. We have a building and a mm -hmm. sanctuary and we have special furniture and we all have a place within that experience to participate in it as we do in our home. So what we're trying to do is connect life to our yeah. faith rather than it being something that we go to. Now, this is something that we live. It's the lens for my life. It's my heart. It's my, our life is faith rather than it's something that I go to learn about. We also, another image for sin about the penitential act is we have the kids uh, squirt out a whole bottle of uh, a little tube of lotion on a plate. And then we tell them that they have to get all that lotion back in that tube. And they start to realize they can't do that. And so the whole oh, idea is that awesome. we do, we do and say things that we can't get back. And so that helps them to realize like, wow, like that's why I need to ask for forgiveness from God because I can't fix some things that I've gotten myself into in my life. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so good. Like we have one about like pickup sticks, talk about mm -hmm. making decisions. We talk about the homily, how the homily is supposed to help us live better lives. And so they play a game of pickup sticks. And so every little you know action that they do has a, you know, reflection of a onto another experience so as they pull out a stick it affects the other sticks and you know this kind of reality in there so they're trying to just use those images to evoke a personal connection so that the then theological teaching that follows it that's connected to the experience now has a place to sit within an image oh that's fantastic that's so yeah and i just i want to reiterate in case anyone didn't hear these materials are beautiful <laughs> And yeah. I, I think I've told Father Tim this and, and your team that in case anyone didn't know, I'm a millennial and I, I believe I'm probably around the age range of most parents who are, are preparing their kids for the sacraments. You know, these are, are well-crafted, well-created materials. And can you speak to that just a little bit, like your desire to make these materials something that was attractive to families? Definitely. I think that um, I'm going to, you know, butcher the Latin of this, but the via pulcho whatever it is, the, the way of beauty that John Paul II yeah. speaks about is so important because when a, when a world has failed us in truth and in goodness, beauty won't. Mm. Beauty is always a door that we can walk through um, because that remains. And I think that when we see beautiful things, when we experience beautiful things, when beautiful things are given to us, we feel valued. And it's one of the reasons the church continues to make beautiful cathedrals for all people. It continues to produce art and music. And I think we should probably do more of that these days. But it's that it's that place that has the access point to all people. And so we've actually been told, we don't say this, but we've been told that our, our, our boxes are like sacred gifts. Mm-hmm for people. And when they receive them, they feel honored by that. And then one of the saddest things I've ever heard from a parent was, I wasn't expecting anything good. <laughs> That's so true. And that we've gotten into a place with the church that yeah. they don't expect anything good from us. Like we have the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And our parents are saying to us, I didn't expect anything good. Yeah. And so I think when we don't surround these mysteries with proper honor and proper respect and proper beauty, then it actually takes away from the person's capacity to receive the truth. Yeah. And so like, and the same thing happens in a mass, right? Like, you know, yeah, preaching and music aren't essential, but they can also detract from your capacity to, to engage in the fullness of it too, you know? Yeah. I was thinking like, so again, audio. So, so for those who can't see it, it's kind of like 
catechesis and the high quality wooden Melissa and Doug toys and pottery barn all had a baby and like, ta-da, like, oh, here we go. That, that, that gets these, these beautiful pathway boxes where it's just, it's real material, beautifully designed, but they communicate the sacred. They're just really fantastic. Yeah. It's a great way to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that not a common way? Does not everybody call it <laughs> Melissa and Doug and Pottery Barn had a baby? <laughs> I don't normally get that one, but it, we have definitely seen people tell, you know, compare us to those things before. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah. I did, yeah, that was sure. my first thought yeah, right yeah. away. Yeah, for sure. I want to, something else you mentioned, um, you know, you're, it's called pathways. You mentioned this is more of a process and, and, and a model of accompaniment. A word um, that sometimes may be churchy, but we talk about the catechumenal model. Here in the Archdiocese of Omaha, we, as we embark on this big goal, we're asking our parishes to put in a clear path of discipleship. And this, when I talked about what was most attractive about pathways, it was this, it was this clear path, this pathway of sacramental formation. Can you talk more about the catechumenal model and how that is a part of the pathways process? Definitely. So the catechumenate models, so that if anyone can that word still is kind of vague. So think about like our RCIA processes and parishes where people come seeking the sacraments. They're like, hey, I'm interested in becoming Catholic. And we say, awesome, you're going to start this process and we're going to come and you're going to ask questions and then we're going to teach you some stuff. And then you're going to come into Lent and have these scrutinies, which will be coming up very soon here. And I think that that process allows a very natural unfolding to happen, but then they get to this beautiful impartation of these sacraments on the Easter vigil. And then a really essential component that we, I think, fail to see sometimes is the mystagogical, mystagogical component, which is like the post, like let's unpack this experience and which most parishes just kind of like that falls off, like they don't do that. And so there's a lot of the catechumenate that is like the model and the method so, so, so good. And then it implementation of it, I think can be, you know, lacking in some places, but the model kind of taking that into a faith formation model is that probably the reality is that we can assume that most people that are coming to us today don't have faith or a faith that is active, a faith that is alive. And so they're essentially coming to us in the same way somebody who maybe is not baptized yet would be coming to us because maybe that, you know, that grace has Mm-hmm. you know, not bloomed yeah. in their life. And so meeting them where they're at in that sense and saying, we're so happy that you're here. We're so excited to journey with you. And I think, you know, kind of trying to really break that association with like, hey, I'm here for the thing rather than I'm, mm-hmm. you know, we're so happy you're here for a relationship with the Lord and the rest of the things are going to come after that. And then so establishing first that encounter, that relationship. And so, you know, we start with the kerygma which is our um, basic proclamation of our gospel, which is something we had assumed for so many years uh, that people had come with. And now we can't assume that. So we begin there to establish them in a relationship with the community, but also with, with the Lord, a personal relationship with Jesus, you know? And so also I think that then we move them into like a basic catechesis, giving them a foundation. So we say that our progressive formation is like very foundational in the sense, like how do we provide a place, a foundation of solid rock rather than come to the sand of our lives so that, that Mm -hmm. faith can continue to grow and then kind of giving them the specific formation for a sacrament that they're going for. And then we have an ongoing formation um, that continues to unpack the mysteries of our life, especially in prayer and the moral life. I think so often we kind of flip those things around in our formation. Like we start with those two components, like morality and prayer, but that only comes from a fruit of our lives, you know, live for the Lord instead of the other way around, you know? 
Right. If prayer is a conversation, who wants to have this regular heart-to-heart conversation with a stranger? You've got to get to know yeah. him first. Absolutely. Father, as you talk about, can you share some stories of that impact? Because I just I love what you said there that you do not assume the the gospel. You don't pass over this kind of foundational primary proclamation. Can you share some stories of parishes that have begun to do this? What's their experience? What are the experiences of, of the couples and the, and the families and the children when that step is, isn't assumed? Definitely. The beautiful part, I think, is that we are actually getting to know our families and, and before, it's crazy to say that we didn't do that. It, it, people usually would just sign up for this process and they would just roll in, drop their kids off. We would never really know the parents personally. And so our process actually begins with an interview mm. where they sit down and it's not an inquisition. It's not to be like, when's the last time you went to mass? But to really be like, <laughs> tell me about your life. Tell me about your family. Like, how can we support you? How can we pray for you? It's oh, establishing so first a relationship of trust because the church in all effectiveness has lost her situational authority. Like mm-hmm. we can no longer just say the church says, and people are like, oh yes, church, right? No, that doesn't exist anymore. The kids don't care. These millennials are like, yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Yes. Um, but we, the one thing that we can never lose is a relational authority. If we can have a relationship, that's where people, you know, really will trust us and in, in drawing uh, them in this new way forward rather than, because I think a lot of people kind of are resistant to like, wait, this is not what I thought it was going to be. So preparing them for that, you know, kind of accompanying them through that process. Yeah. But then also like when parents come and they sit around a table with other parents and they actually are hearing that they're not alone. I think the biggest, most important realization in beginning our faith is the, like the you too. Like when we can have that experience, they can look across mm. the table and look at another parent and say like, oh, okay, okay, oh my gosh, like I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Like I have yes. other people who are with me, who have the same questions, who have the same, you know, concerns, who have the same desires for their kids. And and we live in a world where that's not assumed in any other circle, right? Like the kids they play with on their baseball teams don't necessarily yeah. have the same values that they have or want for their kids. But that's the one place that that should be happening, which is in those church experiences. So SEEK happens at church in small groups where the parents are together and then the kids do a VBS experience, super fun for them. But the primary of this is those parents having those connections with one another and then introducing them to this God who is personal, who wants a relationship with them, who's not just a God of rules and morality and all these kind of things, but a God who is who wants to encounter them. And so Pam went and did it at one of our parishes because we like to stay on the on the pulse and want to see if these things are working and not just yeah. recreate stuff and say, good luck. Um, <laughs> but we want to go say like, how is it working, right? Yeah. So she went and led the parent session at one of these parishes local for us in Orange. And um, she was watching this one parent and she was just like, you know, arms crossed, like, like mad that she had to be there, all this kind of stuff. And she started just to melt throughout this process, week one, week two. And then by the week four, she was crying and laughing and, and just connected in such a deep, meaningful Mm. way with these families at her small group that it doesn't take a lot, but it takes a quality, very intentional um, expose of the gospel in a safe and respectful place and amazing things can happen when people open up their hearts. That was also the same lady who said to her, like, I wasn't expecting anything good. Wow. Um, wow. And when she experienced herself being respected, honored, and then also that we provided something good. And so seek is actually only four sessions over the course of four months. You can do it in four weeks, however you want to do it. But mm-hmm. a lot of times we get a critique in our model that like you don't have enough stuff 
Like you don't have 26 weeks of stuff. And we yeah. tell people like, it does not matter how much stuff you give them if they're not open to hearing it and receiving mm -hmm. it. Amen. And so those four yeah. weeks are about bringing them on, like slowly ramping them up into it rather than being like, come to 13 weeks of really crappy stuff. You know, yeah, like that's a huge commitment when you don't trust this community yet. Yeah, totally. Four weeks is a big commitment. Yeah. yeah. But if that's meaningful, if that touches their life, if it has a transformational component to it, then after that, these people are like, what's next? And so yes. like they, if that's our that's what we're looking for. We're looking for parents to ask DREs what's next. And in old models, I have never heard them ask that. They're like, when is this over? Most of the time, right? Instead yeah. of what is oh. next, what is next? This is all fantastic. I'm going to put on my, I don't know what, what hat it is. It's not the devil's advocate hat, but I mean, the beauty of this, the, the just, it, 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 as we reflect on it, you know, coming back to the catechetical or excuse me, the catechumenal model just going back to relationship, it feels so common sense, but I know there's some obstacles. And so what I want to do now is if we, if we can shift our conversation, we want to ask you some hard questions that, that we think are like in the head of people listening to like, yeah, but right. There's like, I'd love to do this, but so I'm going to let Jody start us off, but we're going to ask you some hard questions. You all have thought through this so well and have demonstrated that it works. We want to see if we can remove some obstacles that might be surfacing in people's minds. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I, I sometimes hear a struggle with is, you know, we want to require something of the family, right? You know, you just mentioned that, that mother who is like, I don't want to be here and I'm feeling forced to be here. So how do you balance that tension between the right of a child and a family to receive a sacrament, you know, whether that's they're preparing for confirmation or baptism, because you also have materials for baptism and the need of the community to insist on some preparation and to come alongside that family in certain ways. How do you balance that tension? Yeah, good question. Um, it's interesting. If you go back to the RCIA or catechumenate model, I think it's very revelatory for us in this process. We are actually looking on a catechumenate. We are looking for faith before we baptize, baptize them. Hmm. We're actually asking, we were saying like, has conversion happened? Is faith manifesting here? And then we confer the sacrament based on that reality. And if we don't see a conversion, then we, we should not confer the sacrament because the sacrament itself is not like magically doing something to them, right? It's meeting them. That's what a sacrament yeah. does. You know, grace is meeting that peace because faith is already working in that person. The church says that explicitly. So yeah. we want to see conversion happening before we confer the sacrament. And I think the same thing can be said of these other sacraments. Like the idea that we are conferring communion on a family or on a kid who doesn't come to church and live in communion is absurd to me. Like theologically, it doesn't wow. make any sense. Mm -hmm. And so we should be seeing communion manifest, communion of their family, communion within the church, in the community, before we just confer a sacrament on them, hoping that that somehow ex opere operatum is going to create that out of them. It's, you know, grace builds on nature. So we have to see them responding to that reality mm -hmm. before we just think it's going to be a magical moment. Grace is, you know, grace isn't magic. Um, sacraments aren't magic. They... Mm -hmm. Uh, they're conferred, but they need to be received deeply. And that's what this preparation is supposed to be doing. And then also this kind of afterwards of, you know, ex ex exploring that further. And so we also say in the canons, like specifically to baptism, 
that we should not baptize a kid if we don't have a reasonable expectation that the parents are going to raise them in the faith. And that's hard for people because we would we think that we just want to give them this grace of this moment. Right. But if they're going to yeah. go down the road and lose the grace of that immediately, the church would say that it would be better for that child to maybe choose that later in their life then. And that's um that's hard with our pastoral hearts. We we want people just to have the stuff like cuz the stuff is important to us. If they're not ready to receive the stuff, sacraments particularly, then the effect that it's going to have on their life um is going to be limited as well. And Thomas, yeah. I love what he says about some grace, especially of like confirmation per se, is that like if we if we receive that in a great, you know, state of sin or something, that kind of the grace kind of hovers around until we get forgiven and then it comes into our life, you know? Mm-hmm. I, yes, because that's how grace works, right? Grace is given, it's free, and then we have to dispose ourselves to be receiving that. So I think so much of our yeah. formation has to be looking for readiness rather than that they just went through a process and yeah. and you know finished a program. But the question is readiness and the past has that sole responsibility to make sure that a, that a child is ready that you know not just intellectually but has some sort of mark that the faith has changed their life that conversions happen on some level father i love that i mean I, what i hear you saying is like this is actually not new this is deep already within the tradition of the church within the rites and the instructions we're looking for something to already be present in their preparation so that we can be confident that the sacrament is going to be fruitful. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. But I, but I, what I, now I'm like, okay, but you know what? Or second like question here, immediately pastors, parish leaders are like, uh, if I try and do this, people who expected a drive-through are going to be mad. What do you say to parishes who are afraid that if they change the way they do things, families are going to revolt and just move to another parish? Yeah, that is a one of the major things that we get, this kind of fear. Like if I mm-hmm. change something, the whole thing's going to implode and I'm going to be left completely. Like I had a pastor once, it was my pastor, when I was trying to push him to make some change here. And he said to me, we're going to keep doing what we're, we've been doing and it's going to work. Like, and I And that was the moment for me that I was like, whoa, like that is, is something more happening here? There's a deep, deep fear. Mm-hmm. It's a deep fear that something is going to never, you know, get, get cut off and never come back. I say a couple of things to the pastors and then I'll share a couple of stories that, that I've seen that it just proves it wrong. But I say first and foremost that if people are going to leave the church, they've already done it. Wow. In most senses, right? Yeah. yeah. Unpack that. What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, if you're like, if you're listening now and you're still a faithful member of the body of Christ, like, thank you. Cause the clergy and the church, we've done a bad job at taking care of you and protecting you, all sorts of things that we were supposed to be doing. Like we failed a lot of ways already. And and I think that if we acknowledge that and the people that are here are like, they're warriors, you know? Mm-hmm. When the people who are still coming to us, we have to assume that something is there to build off of that something um, rather than trying to get like more hoops, jump through more hoops um, and kind of really meeting them there and drawing yeah. them through something meaningful rather than just like, let's, you know, do this thing. I would also say this, there's a parish in Newark that uses our resources. Awesome guy up there. His name is Steve, Stephen Serafin. Love him. And uh, he has big parish, 600 people, 600 families. And uh, he decided that he was going to move in this direction. And so he just told the families, we're moving in this new direction. Here we go. About 10% of them voiced concerns. What he decided to do was he sat down with all of those people, all that 10% of people, personal one-on-one meetings to find out what their concerns were, listen to them. After mm. he did that and he further explained what was happening here, it's not, you know, because sometimes people don't know and they're afraid as as much as pastors are. 
right? Yep. Yeah. And so it's sitting down and actually like, here's actually what's going to happen and what we really what we're what we're hoping for this. We're hoping to to build up your family to have to have meaningful moments for you and your family to have at home. Like people want that. They just don't know that that's what you're doing yet, you know? And mm -hmm. so when he sat down with them, only four of those 10% decided that they were going to go to another four people, four families out of the 10% wow. decided that they were going to go to another church. Every single one of those families has since returned to his. Wow. That's awesome. It's incredible. So I want to just say to any of, if there's pastors listening or DREs, like, like that fear is unfounded if it's done properly. If we do mm -hmm. it with respect, if we honor the people, if we listen to them, if we engage them, I think what's so unfortunate about the way that we make change sometimes in the church is just by legislating it. We're yeah. doing this and I don't care about you. If mm -hmm. we sit down with someone and say, we want to move in this direction and like, I want to hear your concerns and I want to hear your butts and I want to hear your, your worries. And then to address those very personally and to uh, meet them on their path as well, I think is mm -hmm. the way forward. Right. And um, to realize like, or invite them into it. Like, like, and we want you to help us because your family has been so faithful here at our parish and we want other families to be like you, like help us to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it's, but it takes way more time. And that's the part that I think really, I hope I don't get shot for this. You can edit it out if you want. But I think <laughs> most most of us, we don't want to do anything that requires more of us. I don't think you're the only one. No. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, you know, this model, our, our resources, we say they're not plug and play. Like, we're not just going to get a box and stick it in the hands of families. Like, we need personal relationships. We need accompaniment. We need coaches to sit with them, small groups. Like, we have a whole system that underpins our process that supports that reality. If you just stick a box in the hand of a parent, yeah, some parents will do it and some will not. And you'll have the same, basically the same result as you would with anything else. Yeah. You know, and so I think that, um, yeah, it's just a matter of, like, am I willing to change my method and my approach? Am I willing to stop doing something? so that I can do something new. And that's a, that's a hard order, especially when we've been doing something for 40 years or 30 years. I um, mean, for mm -hmm. someone to say, hey, you need to now uproot all those things that you're doing and change your model. It's, it's humbling. That's hard. So Father, I'm so glad you went there because this yeah. is more than just pretty boxes. Like yeah. you're alluding to, there's a culture change. There's a mode of operation. There's these, I don't know what you would call them. There's these prerequisites or there's these other things that have to happen for the boxes, for pathways, for, for these moments to work. You mentioned the inventories, right? You, you, you meet with these. I'm sure there's other systems as well. Uh, you, know, you meet with the families. There's, I'm sure there's other systems and I want to give you a chance to talk about those. But what is really on my mind is where do these missionary families come from? Right, the, These like families that are willing to extend themselves and accompany other families. I mean, that's clearly this key ingredient that is outside of the box, <laughs> metaphor and like literally, they're not part of the <laughs> kit. Where do you find missionary families? Good question. And a lot of times the parishes have a hard time doing that. Mm. My friends, let's just accept that that's a problem. Okay. That we can't find mm. missionary families in our church. Like that, you know, that <laughs> like that saddens me, but also makes me like, like lights the fire in me to like, we have to produce now missional families. I think our deacons can be a super help in here. Many of our deacons are married and have had families and come and accompany these families at the beginning process. Mm -hmm. And we also say this, that our process makes missionary families. So if you can within one year decide like, I want to do seek and I want to do root 
like that's going to pop out on the other side probably a more trained yes accompaniment disciple than probably most of our catechists sadly um are popping on the other side and so just if they did that faithfully and showed up and were accompanied and intentionally like walked with in the midst of that um it would be producing now out of the other end of that disciple families and we're seeing that in the parishes using our resources they tell us like now that at the end of it they can say to the parents hey would any of you be willing to go walk with some families next year and they're like I could do that because why? Um, yes. Because they just saw it. The possibility was cast. And now they say, you know what? I, you're not asking me to do 26 weeks in a row every single Tuesday at four o'clock. Yes. Like I can do that. I can walk with a family. I can check in with them. I can say hi to them at the grocery store. I can do that. And so we're actually, actually like, basically this year, we're going to be writing some extensive things on like a family coach that is, you know, different from a catechist. Catechists have their nature in the church that's important. Mm -hmm. But, you know, your family coaches don't necessarily have to be catechists as such in the same same mind that the church structure in our current United States model has. In the in the documents, it's a very different situation. I could call a family coach a catechist if we were following the new directory for catechesis, but most mm -hmm. places are not. Most places are like, you have to have a five-year certification to do this. I'm like, that's one of the problems, right? It's like most uh -huh. families are not gonna yes. go through a five-year certification process, but could very well be living out their faith, being able to say, you know what, I'm with you. Let's ask yeah. the catechist to come in and answer that question, because I don't quite know. And have the humility to say like, I don't have the answer, but I know maybe someone who does, and so kind of, you know, also freeing up systems and you're going to have mm -hmm. a different person that you're going to call into it. So the families who are at the parish who go to mass on Sunday, just start like sitting next to them before, um, uh, what do you call it? Mass starts and say, Hey, can I talk to you afterwards? I have this like crazy idea and I want your help with it. And those mom, that mom who maybe wasn't able to commit to 26 weeks in a row now is able to say like, I could do 10. Yeah. Like I could come to 10 things and maybe hop on yeah. a phone call or a quick zoom meeting with somebody, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Did I answer your question or to kind of, yeah, no, no, that's, I mean, it just like, I mean, in some ways like the missionary families, like just start small, do some of the first little kits seek and others, and it helps build missionary families and they're eager to accompany others when they've experienced it. Father, can you connect just for, again, for, for listeners who are trying to wrap their minds around this, how do the missionary families, the support that you offer to parishes that want to move in this direction, and then like the boxes themselves, how do they all work together? Sure. Yeah. So it's a big, crazy system, right? And yes. so uh, we offer a number of pathways, overviews, and Q and A's on our website as well, like webinars that people can hop on if they're looking for a more like systematic expose of how this all works together. But in general, here the reality is we want to get first get people into a small grouping through those seek experiences, and we're progressively moving them from an at church to an at-home model. So if you can see that, it's a progressive mm -hmm. piece. And so our boxes are the full at-home stuff. and But then they're also always connected to a kind of a certain at-church supplemental encouragement preparation process as well. And so like in our root box context, the parents do a mini series themselves, then they come to church with other parents, they process that experience together, and then they get are equipped to then go home and lead their kids through a family meeting, which is in a box form. So what we're doing is we're moving them from the center of catechesis from being an ad church experience to the center of catechesis being in the, in the living room experience. And so that's the relationship mm -hmm. there. So the catechesis is given through these experiences, family meetings and boxes, but they're accompanied by a, 
uh, another disciple maker parent or family who then checks in with them through these at church experiences. And then if maybe there's a problem or a, maybe a worry. So one of the cool parts about it is like this disciple maker family, you know, maybe a family's having a real hard time doing them at home can go over to that person's house and do a couple with them. Yeah, they can actually go and model it. And so what we're seeing is we're, we're we're just discovering the 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 kind of realities much sooner. So many times in our faith formation process, it's like we only now know at the end of the process before they're supposed to get the drive through thing that they're not ready for it. In our <laughs> mm -hmm. model, it's like you're not even going to get to the immediate preparation if you're not on the faith freeway. We don't even want to get you into that piece. So many right. times our yeah. immediate preparation in parishes are like everything we're going to give you everything in the context of your first communion preparation and then like hopefully hopefully you're going to get it when you come out and so the idea mm -hmm. is that um really they're accompanying them so the families are doing that at home but then coming and processing that information being encouraged hearing other families be like yeah that was hard for me too or like we had a really hard night because you know this person was sick or this person was mad or something. And then, and then they're realizing, okay, like it's, and we always say it's like practice. You don't stop taking your kid to practice when they have one bad game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I you know, love it. We keep doing it because we know that that, that process is going to make them better. And so it's that it's knowing that, and that's kind of in the, you know, the water of, of parents and stuff and they'll encourage each other in that. Right. Like, yeah. Like we don't just, stop telling our kid to stop brushing his teeth because he was mad at us one night like no like we gotta brush our teeth right yeah it's good for you our faith is good for us friends like it's yeah. not to bind us it's it's good news like and if, if our faith has become something other than that we have to first work with that component which is what this progressive formation is supposed to deal with the families are do they're using the resources they're doing them at home but then they're accompanied by a mentor missionary family where they gather back together then at the church, they get this kind of support group of other parents that missionary family can offer the encouragement and maybe even if needed, enter into their home and help them with that. Where do you all come in in helping parishes figure out how to do this? Yeah. So our team, what we, we've kind of set up the model like this. We want to form parish leaders to then form their like disciple maker families who then form families and parents specifically who then form children yeah so we are very committed to walking with the parish leaders because the more that we can form them in those relational capacities the more that they are then equipped with a model of what that looked like for them so like this last year we did and we will do again this year we had like a director's retreat so we actually led the directors through a retreat called narrative and to identify their story the different seasons in their life and then we gave them that resource and we said, hey, now we want you to take your family coaches and your catechists, and then we want you to lead them through narrative with your own stories and now modeling it for them so then they can then go and do that so for good. the families. And so because we are a small team, we have a big mission, big vision, but, you know, yeah. we... But that's how the church works, right? I mean, it, it, that's how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to be forming, you know, and then expanding that discipleship model. I know you had mentioned focus, right? The, that you were involved in focus. Like, is that not the focus model? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Discipling, which then yeah. inspires others and to go disciple others. And this is how it's always worked from the beginning. It's how we went from 12 to billions of people. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so it's always going to be like that in our church. And we have to re kind of get to that apostolic kind of orientation and uh, the mission of it. We are also very committed to helping parishes. We also realize that each 
each family's on a path, but every parish is on a path as well. Mm. And so we listen to the parish leader. Some parish leaders like, oh, I don't know. Some parish leaders like, I want everything tomorrow. Like, and we're like, <laughs> let's go. And then we have, and then we have some parish leaders who are like, I can't move everything tomorrow. And we're like, that's okay. How about we bring in this piece? Yeah. Yep. How about we start with this part yeah. and build you into that? We did that with a parish up in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, now this year, and he was using lots of different programs. He's like, you know what? This one produced the most fruit. I'm going full bore everything next year. Let's go. And so this, we're doing that. And then six parishes around him are now all looking at our resources because he's producing fruit. Yeah. So really that's the model. You know, I told the Lord, I will do this as long as it produces fruit. And as soon as it doesn't, I'm out, you know, like yeah. going somewhere else. And I think that that is our commitment to you and to the parishes as well is like, we want you to produce fruit. We're not here to sell resources. Yeah. Like we're here to produce fruit in families, you know. That's so beautiful. And I love that you highlighted that, like you can begin in an incremental fashion. This isn't yeah. like a all or nothing, you know, either chuck everything you're doing or like you can start just, just one box. Yeah. Or pilot it with five families. Like, yeah order some boxes and and do this spring and see how it goes because families talk and if it's meaningful and awesome they're like hey did you like see this like we should definitely do this you know and they yeah. start to talk, and they get other people on board for you like you don't have to be the only one selling this to them you know it's the experience that changes people we found okay so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit later we're gonna talk about a giveaway because we actually want to give away some some boxes okay. here we've got some we go. uh that we love to like give parishes Maybe just as, I mean, this has been amazing as we kind of close up here, you know, we've talked about the fear and what, what a massive shift this is. And like, oh my gosh, it can be so disorienting. Father, what would you say to somebody who's like excited, but also a little overwhelmed right now? They don't quite know where to begin, but they're at least willing to, to take a first step. Yeah. I would say, don't be afraid. Mm. I would say that if you feel like the spirit is prompting you and you something, seek after it, ask the Holy Spirit to come and move that. I always pray this prayer of discernment because the Lord puts a lot of things on my heart. Like Lord, increase it if it's from you, get rid of it if it's from something else. Mm. And I just think that it helps us to be like, if this is from you, God, like I'm going to trust that you're going to also give me the grace to do it and open up the doors for it to happen. Um, and that's how it's been for us. I mean, like we've literally grown this thing through a pandemic pandemic, yeah. which has happened almost in no other situations, you know? And so I have to wonder like, that wasn't because I'm a genius. That was because God is, you know, leading it. And I'm just very grateful for that. I just know my limits, uh, but I know I'm not God and I'm grateful for that part. And so just call upon that grace, you know, to, to trust it, but also to realize that you're not alone. There's tons of people across the United States. I talk with people every day on the phone and Zoom calls that have this on their heart as well. And the Holy Spirit is moving the church in this direction mm -hmm. in a powerful way. I talk to people, they use the same vocabulary I do. I've never talked to them before in my entire life. I haven't formed yeah. them. I don't. And, and that stuff for me, a mark of true things yes. is when you start to have like a shared heart. You know, because the, the Christian community was of one mind and one heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It does. It unifies mm -hmm. us um, in a mind and a heart. And so um, if you start to see that, just know that you're not alone. That's just a community of people um, who are doing that and on the front end of that. But also to know that, you know, leading change is hard, um, but leading change is possible and we need people to do it. And so if God is putting that on your heart, like God will take care of the rest. I want to just one more book recommendation. It's called Leading Change Without Losing It. Yes. Definitely recommend that piece. It's a Great Canadian book. pastor. And he just talks about like creating a filter, like which of the comments that we want to build our church on, Yeah. you know, yeah. and being able to really like move forward confidently that 
the vast majority, probably 80% of your people are going to be either early adopters, mid adopters, or people who are going to be along for the ride. And so just know that it's, it's not as daunting. The very loud voices are not that many mm-hmm. and they're just to distract, you know, um, honor them, hear them, but also decide that we want to move in a meaningful way that is yeah. gospel based, that is rooted in our documents and that is supported, um, by the spirit. Yeah, I love that. We'll we'll link that in the show notes. Leading change. It's on my bookshelf, right? Leading change without losing it. Uh, Carrie Newhoff. Father, you you mentioned the documents. Just any other resources? I mean, when we talked before we got started, we're like, okay, Father, what was the inspiration for this? And I love what you said. You're like, well, I mean, I read the church documents and I tried to do it. <laughs> tried to be faithful. I'm like, oh, out pops a box. I mean, not really, but yeah, out, right, right, out pops a. <laughs> A process of faithfulness to, you know, the church's wisdom about how we grow in faith, how we grow in faith in community and little communities called families. So yeah, I love it. What would you recommend for, for those documents? Like what, what what's on your reading list for people? I would definitely recommend uh, the new directory for catechesis. I think that somehow God was like giving me a pretext for that in prayer. I just don't know how it all lined up. I mean, I've studied the previous ones. Um, mm-hmm. They're not exactly as forward as this most current one is very forward. And it literally has a line in there that says, you know, buildings that look like schools are ill-equipped for catechesis. Like Amen. that is a quote from the new director <laughs> for catechesis. Like, and no document before that would have said it that blunt, right? And so yeah. it, it was just one of those like, okay, move now, like documents, like you have to make change now. But the previous documents, they all line that out. I mean, this is not new stuff. Like my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is also like any of our documents on adult faith formation is the axis for catechesis. Just think, I'm gonna engineer, if, if an axis is off center on a wheel, the wheel will oscillate and destroy everything around it. Wow. But if the center is in the center of the wheel, the wheel will roll and it will, you know, move forward. And so I think that that we have neglected that and we've we've thought that, you know, somehow if I just get kids or my, I'm just the children's faith formation director, I don't deal with adults. Like then we have the sense where we're we're off axis. And if mm. our only faith formation for adults is RCIA, you know, we have to ask ourselves, like, is the axis healthy? Yeah. Is the axis in the center? You know, so there's those things. So any of those directories, the new evangelization documents are so good. There's a new one about changes of structure. I forget what the name of it is, but it's like a bulletin, they call it, um, from the Congregation of Clergy. Mm. A lot of this stuff is just kind of lining up with it. But definitely the new directory for catechesis is so funny. We, we decided to name our sweet pathways a little bit after in the spring of when we started. And about six months later, that new directory came out and it uses the word pathway 18 times <laughs> in the document. We're like, well, that's weird. That's so good. Because um, it wasn't going to be called pathways before. It had different names. And then God was like pathways. And you're like, okay. And so it's just funny to have that kind of lining up um, and trusting that piece those other books I had mentioned, I definitely recommend, you know, Christendom Apostolic Mission for sure, Leading Change Without Losing It. Those are some real foundational ones that help to make a categorical change, a change of structure. This is not yes. just about a changing a program, right? but it's about changing a structure. This is more than a new curriculum. It's yeah. not a new curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not plug and play. I'm sorry. So don't. <laughs> yeah. No, this is great. I definitely want to sell it like that. Father, where can people go if they want to like, what's the website if they want to find out more about pathways. Yeah, our um, nonprofit is called Faith and Family Life Catholic Ministries. So our website is very simple, 
ffflcm.org frank frank larry cindy mary.org um and because sometimes people get f sound like other things i think sometimes but um oh, sure that'll pop you up there um pathways is actually just one of our ministries um it is our formational suite and so the way that we've structured the ministries is to be able to bring in other ministries that support families so one that's in the works right now is called wellspring it's going to be for marriages um, and resources for post-marriage formation and mystagogical unpacking of the grace of your marriage. Because marriages wow. aren't, you know, just given to you on your wedding day and that's it. Like it's a perpetual sacrament. It's a live sacrament, a, a, a grace just, that keeps pouring in every time we decide to, to love each other, you know? You just keep getting me so excited. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, we can go another hour. We could totally do this. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. Father, we will have to have you back just to talk about the other resources and, and ministries. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. They're, yeah. The Lord doesn't stop on my mind or my heart. So you know, Father, you you mentioned um, earlier that experience you've had of talking to people around the country and and that unity of, of vision and language, and that was something I experienced. And I, I remember that was why I was so excited. I was like, we talk the same language. And when I spoke with you and Pam, and like I was like, that is such a gift and so rare. And as we've been embarking on a change, it has felt lonely at times. Mm -hmm. And as I've just watched you, you guys, I'm like, oh, it's happening again, you know, <laughs> between you and uh, Jim and, and Father Tim, Tim, like this is your first time really meeting. And I'm like, oh, they've read all the same books. And we're right. You're like, he's our people. <laughs> he's our people. Yeah. And um, it's just a, a real gift of how the spirit has been moving here in Omaha and with you guys. Um, so I'm just, I just continue to be grateful for it. Oh, look at that. Thank you so much. Yeah, me too. Cause it does feel, it can feel lonely in our camps as well. I think we're the crazy people. Like we're going out on a branch, we're going on a limb Amen. and we're saying like, Hey, like, Lord, I, this is where you feel like you're leading me, but everything around me is like impenetrable force. It feels like, but that's starting to fall. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we start to see that that's starting to fall apart and people now are like, what's working mm -hmm. because they're re recognizing what that, what they're doing is not working. And so I think people eventually are going to come to a place. Um, the early adopters are going to be the 10% and that's who we look for right now. in the churches we're working with, uh, we don't want to convince a church that they have to go this way. We want people to be like, I'm looking for something. Mm -hmm. And because those are the folks who are actually going to be able to, I think, really transform the structure. We will work with everybody, obviously, but those <laughs> are the people we're starting to work with initially because those are the folks who, who have the same heart we do who have the same desires for the church we do um, and who aren't people that we have to like convince of what yeah. we're trying to do, you know? Um, but they are people we can walk beside and yeah, encourage. And Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Say like, you're not so crazy after all. Okay. Well, one more time. Cause I know you are speaking to people's hearts right now and they're like, that's me. That's me. I want help. One more time. What's the website? How do they find you? Yeah. FFLCM.org. So that's Faith and Family Life Catholic Ministries. If you just Google us, you'll find it. Probably if you type in Pathways Formation Suite, you'll also find it um, there on Google somewhere. Hopefully the indexing is working on our favor. Who knows? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then if you find that there, we also have an Instagram page. I think it is, uh, I think it's FFLCM.Pathways is the uh, Pathways page for Instagram. You can find us on there. But we have a ton of webinars coming up. This is kind of our formational spring is formation time for us and bringing people onto the vision so on our website there are a ton of options to sign up for they're all completely free 
they're all completely no obligation. You just come on and we chat and we cast and we talk and all the things just like this. And you'll get, I'll be there. So you get an opportunity to ask me any questions if you want to talk to me. Um, but also we're very committed. If you want to set up a personal meeting with us, like I said earlier, we're not here to sell resources. We're here to get resources in the hands of families that need them and that parishes that are open to using them. Um, and so that gives us that freedom of being a nonprofit. Like we're not in it to do anything besides like do our mission, which is to rebuild the church one family at a time. That's awesome. Father, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for being with us today. This was so, yeah, so fun uh, and very, very helpful. Thank you. Appreciate it. God bless y'all. Keep hanging in there. God is faithful. Amen. All right, everybody. So this is what you need to know for the giveaway. We are such big fans of these resources that Father Tim and his team has put together that we bought a whole bunch. We have them ready and we want to give them away. So anybody who's interested, and sorry, only open to folks in the Archdiocese of Omaha, if you're interested in checking out the work that Father Tim did, we're going to send you one of these boxes. Here's what you need to do. We want you to share this episode out with just one friend. And then we want you to email Jody Phillips. Jody's email is J-M, as in Mary, Phillips, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S, at archomaha.org. I'll repeat it uh, again at the end here. But all you have to do is share this episode out with a friend and email Jody, and we're going to send you one of these boxes so you can get it in your hands, so you can check it out. They're so cool. They're so fantastic. And we, we believe in it so much, we want to give you a chance to, to hold one and uh, explore it. So again, if you're interested, share this episode out with a friend and email Jody, jmphillips at archomaha.org. J. M is in Mary, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S at archomaha.org. If today's episode was a gift to you, pause, you know, maybe pull over on the side of the road if you're driving, but just share this out with some friends, other people, families, you know, catechists, folks that, that you know need to hear this. Again, thanks for being with us, everybody. God bless.